0: Welcome to season two of the CandyCast podcast. I'm Daryl Keezer, CEO of CandyBox Marketing, and during this season, I'll be interviewing CEOs from various industries that grew rapidly during the pandemic. During these podcasts, I'll be trying to find out how they rose to the top, while many of their competitors shut their doors. Grab your favorite candy, sit back, and enjoy. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Randy Pilon, CEO of Virox Technologies. Virox is a global leader in the next generation of disinfectant products that we use every single day. Enjoy. Um, Great. Well, Randy, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Uh, For the listeners, I would love for you to explain, for those people that don't know Virox Technologies, um, who are you and what do you guys do? Well,
1: Virox is a uh, 23-year-old company positioned in the um, infection control space. So we're a chemical engineering firm with proprietary technologies for disinfecting hands, surfaces, devices, all with peroxide. We've got a new technology based on citric acid that's uh, patented and that'll be coming out in 2022. Um, so so uh, at the end of the day, what we do is we try to interrupt the spread of infection. Uh, so back, you know, you go back 20 years ago and people were still arguing whether you could catch, um, uh, uh, get a pathogen from a surface. And now people understand that, you know, you need to disinfect surfaces, you need to, especially high-touch areas, and you need to disinfect uh, uh, devices even more so, and you need to sanitize your hands. And if you don't have soap and water, hey, you know what, a hand sanitizer is fine. So we're in that space, and, uh, you know, the best question I think you can ever ask in business when you're looking at a new model is, so what? And 20 years ago, 23 years ago, when you said a new green disinfectant, the so what was hard to overcome. And, uh, you know, one of the critical assumptions we had was that one day you would have to take disinfectants out of skilled hands into unskilled hands and disinfect everything. And you might raise your eyebrows back then and say, well, why? Uh, but then, you know, two years later, three years later, SARS hit, and they were disinfecting go trains, elevator buttons, handrails, school boards. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can't train everyone how to use toxic disinfectants. So our technology was mandated by the ministry to be used everywhere. And that was a huge, huge step in the awareness and, and trial phase, and
0: validation came when when all the hospitals picked it up and never turned back. Wow, and uh, I mean, you mentioned ministry, and sometimes people that are listening to this could be uh, in Canada, you could think Ontario, uh, but uh, I, like because of my knowledge of Virox, how big are you guys now? Like, where would you find Virox technologies in, uh, in, in your life, in the world?
1: Well, we're in over 70 countries now uh, with our technology. Uh, We're in about eight different verticals. So instead of taking a disinfectant and using it everywhere, what we did was we tried to understand uh, those that disinfected in different areas. For example, a veterinarian has very, very different needs and claims and pathogens that are important to him than someone in the dental industry. And someone in the pro-beauty industry is different than that. And someone in the farm animal industry, it's species specific. So a hog farmer doesn't care what a chicken farmer is trying to disinfect. So there's a fragmentation that happens throughout the marketplace. And what we did was we built very, very unique um, uh, strategies around each area of disinfection. So it might be a similar formulation in the bottle, but it's positioned differently in the label, in the claims, in the websites are completely unique and dedicated so that the, the user can go to that site and understand the procedures, the protocols, the claims, and why that product's relevant for them in that specific area. So so that's what we did. We, we had a bespoke, if you will... Uh, strategy to each section that we, uh, each sector that that requires disinfection, from hospitals to dental clinics to, you know, your chiropractic clinic to a veterinarian office, you name it. Wherever they disinfect, we're
0: there. That's awesome. And and I know that, like for some people, they they're always looking at brands and brand labels. Um, uh, I know that Virox Technologies is in all these brands that we use, right? Where it's like your, are you're, uh, you know, the the technology that's working within the product, and uh, you know, every single time I'm I'm in a hospital or something, you know, I can kind of turn the label and I'll see your logo right there at the bottom. It doesn't matter what the label says on the top. Like you guys um, are are really just an industry leader in disinfectant. Now um, we've all had a very interesting two years with disinfectants. Uh, you know, go back to the beginning of COVID. Uh, we all thought that we were, you know, gonna get COVID from our Amazon delivery packages. And we had a designated spot for packages and you know, pre-sanitized stuff and post-sanitized stuff, and we had garbage bags laid down, and everybody's rushing out for hand sanitizer. And uh, and you know, we all started like using this stuff like nonstop. Like this was this was the year of sanitization, if we if we can call it. Like we've we've never used so much, we've never thought about it more. Um, and yet, you know, you're you're the technology. Behind a lot of these products that that we were using, what did the beginning of the pandemic look like for Virox Technologies? Like, I have no idea. Obviously, you're an essential service, which which is incredible. So you're you're going, but um, you know, for for an industry leader in sanitization, and all of a sudden, not just you know, not just like Toronto, not one country, but the entire world goes into to crisis, and we all got obsessed with sanitization. What did that look like at Virex Technologies?
1: Well, I, I mean, first and foremost, you know, we're, we get up every day, and all we do is look at the disinfection, infection prevention market, as it's called. So this was no surprise to us. We knew this was coming. Uh, SARS was a preamble to, you know, how quickly something can spread and how it can change the behavior of, of governments, uh, of, of people, and what they do. I mean, again you know, did you ever think that people would be disinfecting elevator buttons at the first Canadian place 10 times a day, you know, 20 years ago? It's done. It's been done now since 2003 and four. So the, we've had many, many outbreaks since then, you know, from, you know, the scare the Ebola scare three, four years ago, the MRSA community outbreaks in different states throughout the U.S. We are used to these little spikes that you see. Uh, can I say that we foresaw a pandemic? No. But when we saw the rumblings of it back in around Christmas of 2019, um, you know, we said we better be prepared for whatever's next. And, um, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, in April, there was the big lockdown. And, you know, our partners asked us to step up and, and, and make as much product as we could. And it was really an interesting time because, you know, we've got that, that plant, it's about 70,000 feet in Oakville there, but we'd never run 24-7 before. So, you know, we're not unskilled labor. We have quality assurance technicians. We have all kinds of different people that are, that are, uh, t- to make sure, because we're, we're regulated like a pharmaceutical company. So, you know, Hey, put your hand in the air. Who wants to work a night shift and thank, thank them. Like they're, they're amazing people. They, they all put their hand in the air. So yeah, I'll do it. You know, this is what we do. We save lives. They were re- you know, really re- willing to step up. Didn't know it would last a year. You know, so so it really disrupts your life when you're working a night shift, but uh, but when this first happened, uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal called me up, and they said, "Look, your company's so prominent, we want to really understand the dichotomy between boom and bust. So you know, we see all these businesses shutting down and busting, and you're going to boom. So we want to talk about that side." And they came. They did a half-hour video. It's on our website on, on, on Virox. And then of course, you know, you, you, get a lot of attention in the media when you're on the wall street journal. And, uh, and, and then premier Ford called me, uh, Doug Ford called me and he said, you know, all, all of our public utilities and, 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 and facilities, the hospitals, they, they use your technology. Um, how can we get you to produce more? And we talked about, uh, you know, the need for more high speed equipment and, you know, because he's a, 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 a businessman, he's a bi- he understood that. So we got a team together and they created a, a, a grant called the Ontario Together Fund. And, and uh, we worked to put together a proposal. And they funded us to the tune of $850,000. And we put in some high-speed equipment that allowed us to basically triple our output per day of, of products, of especially the wet wipes. And, uh, and so we were able to supply the marketplace in a big way, especially frontline workers. So, you know, on our side, it was more on the boom side uh, running 24-7. The key learning in that is, 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 you know, it's like having a house party 24-7 for two months and you realize, oh, my microwave's broken, the fridge is broken, the toilets doesn't work. The amount of stress on the building that was unanticipated because we're not built for that, on the equipment, the maintenance. So run your car, run your car 24-7, lend it to a, an Uber guy and for 24-7 for five months, see how it goes. So it's that kind of stuff that really surprised us. And, of course, the wear and tear on the people. So we paid them a lot extra. We gave them bonuses. We did lunches and dinners and surprise stuff. And the 12 days of Christmas, we did so much stuff that, that we were so grateful. We had shuttle buses, picking them up, taking them home. It was crazy. But we did what we had to do for these amazing people. But, uh, but, but the, the key learning was, was that. But, you know, we were able to really ramp up
0: and step up, and it even surprised us. So So you've got this like overwhelming demand. Um, you've got international attention, um, you've got your 70,000 square foot facility in Oakville. Uh, and, and looking back, it's always it's always like easy to say, oh yeah, that, that would have been a great idea. shuttle buses, oh, that's a great idea. but you know you're still you're still the same team. And so um, what what did you do in preparation of this? Like I know you said you know in December you're thinking, okay, we better be ready. I'd, I, I would, guess that you had no idea, you know, like the, the extent of, I mean, you, you, you mentioned, right, like you didn't think it was going to be going on for a year. Uh, we all thought it was going to be like a three week break, you know, an extra long March break. And then and then that was going to be it. Um, what what did you do um, as a CEO to get everything in place and ready and uh, proactive as opposed to what most businesses would have been just reactive of just like, you know what, we can't produce enough. You know, this is as fast as we're going. There's just, um, there's, there's not enough supply. You know, complain, complain, complain. How did you go on the proactive side? What did that look like? Well, again, because we, you know, call it, uh, you know, prescient, what
1: call it what you want. Because we're in this business and we saw this coming, and we're such a good planning company with our with our strategic planning processes that are company wide. Our materials management team was reaching out to suppliers, securing. Um, everything from skids to boxes to cartons to caps to wipe substrate. So we were putting all that in place before the craziness happened. Because what happens in situations like this is is you get predators. You get people that try to corner the market. So in our business, what you don't want is a distributor calling and saying, how many wet wipes do you have? I'll buy them all. Because what he's going to do is corner the market, put the price up, and then the people see the price go double, triple... And they look at the name on the bottle and they say Virox and we're the bad guy, not the distributor. So allocation is really important in the infection control space when an outbreak happens to make sure that the product gets where it's going to get consumed, not where it's going to get stockpiled and you're going to have predatory pricing. That's important. But what we didn't, um, uh, what we didn't expect is, is there's companies out there that make very, very simple things, like a cap for a bottle. And, you know, your machine has to run 24-7 in order for you to make any money, because at the end of the day, a cap is $0.07. But well, we saw caps go to $0.25, $0.30, because the capacity's finite, and everybody wanted to make products in bottles and sell disinfectants. So you saw a lot of new entrants come into the rivalry that were no-name, no-good products. The government was handing out hand sanitizer licenses like candy. And, you know, I don't know if you know, you'd open up a hand sanitizer, it would smell like tequila or it would smell like gin. The distilleries were making hand sanitizers because of demand. Now, a lot of them got pulled back because the product wasn't efficacious or it was downright not, not, not proper to be used on hands. And uh, I think the government learned a lesson uh, on handing out licenses so quickly. So that's all been taken back in the last seven seven eight months. But you saw a lot of people enter, enter the rivalry trying to make money. And, uh, and, and so the whole disinfectant space got polluted with no name, no good products. And uh, now people serious about disinfection kept buying the branded products, hospitals, uh, dental clinics, etc. But the amount of flooding of, of stuff that went into the Home Depots and into the consumer space was just absolutely crazy. And now you're seeing that stuff, you know, you can get hand sanitizer for a dollar at Home Depot. So, you know, it was that kind of thing uh, that, that we saw happen. But we were, you know, we were really well prepared because this is what we do. It's not a sideshow for us. It's, it's what we do. So we saw, it's like the stock guy, you know, you can play, you and I can sit there and pretend we know what we're doing and buy stuff, but there's that guy that stares at the screen all day, you know, let him do, let him, you know, watch your money
0: for you. And maybe you want to dabble a little bit, but you know, let the experts do what they do. And our people are experts. Uh, A funny story. Uh, I went to Walmart uh, last night and I walked in, there was a huge box of hand sanitizer and it said free. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is hilarious, right? I, I so I picked up one. I was like, it was this nice, like, convenient hand one. And then uh, I was walking down the aisle. I looked at it, and all the printing was in like wingdings and hieroglyphics. And and you're thinking like, well, that's why it's free. But it's like, how did this get depressed? Like, you know, this is this is like a kind of like it's a medical product, and and it's being. Uh, it's being used um, or like it's being manufactured by people that have no idea what they're doing or they're just rushing it to market. Uh, as a marketing agency, we are called probably once a week at another company that was like, we're going to get into hand sanitizers. We're going to you know, set this up. And I, and a lot of them were, it was a lot like too little, too late. Uh, and, um, and many of them just didn't have any experience in actually running these types of businesses. And so they quickly failed out and we almost ignored them because everybody was just trying to, to jump on the train. Now, talking about the actual train that you know, executed, did well, and came through it. Uh, I'd love to know what was what was what was one of the hardest things that Virox had to do during this last two years that you just didn't see coming. Like, what was the thing that that hit you guys hard? I think the thing that really
1: hit us hard that we didn't see coming was again when these people uh, stepped up and they said, "I'm willing to you know come in at nine at night and work till eight in the morning." Um, yeah you know, Hey, I'll pick me. And you know, yeah, we'll pay you time and a half. We'll give you a bonus. We'll do this. We'll do that. And then all of a sudden their whole life gets disrupted because it's one month, two months, five months, six months, seven months. So in April of this year, I said, enough's enough. We're going back to, you know, a normal shift a you know, 10 hour, 12 hour day shift. We're not going to do the night shift. And we had to turn away business because, you know, you can't push people to that limit. And they were awesome uh, and we gave them a per- permanent 20% raise and said, enough's enough. Yeah, that was the hardest thing is, is watching the effect it had on on people's lives, some of them, some of them even their relationships. Um, it's a very, very different thing to do to do a night shift, but they really stepped up. And, and it's not easy to find um, that type of skill set. You know, you need managers, supervisors, you need people trained in health and safety. You, you just can't call a temp agency and say, can you send me 50 people? You can't do that. In our business, yeah, it doesn't work that way.
0: And um, and then in regards to the, the systems, um, like uh, yeah, people can break down, right? We're we're not robots, uh, and it's interesting you even mentioned relationships, right? Because uh, companies have seen that uh, relational equity has has gone down. Um, you know, the relationships among peers has gone down. Like it's been it's been troubling. Um, and uh, you know, you mentioned a number of things that you did, like culturally, to really help. People through that. Um, what about on the system side? Like, you know, to, to ramp up capacity to be a twenty four seven facility. Um, what like what did you learn in regards to like? Oh, I wish I wish this area. I mean, you guys were very prepared in so many different areas. What was the thing that maybe even surprised you? It surprised us uh, on the on the system side. Yeah, on the system well, side.
1: Well, was that we had to uh, we had to have a much more buoyant uh, sort of planning system for our materials management. So scheduling, bringing in materials, like when you're shipping 20, 50 trucks a day in and out, you got products coming in, you got products coming out, and the place wasn't built for that. You know, there were trucks lined up, up the street, down the street. There were truck drivers fighting with each other saying, I was here first. So we didn't have a system for scheduling trucks coming in and out because we didn't need one. So we had to figure all that stuff out on the run. Our IT group stepped up. They put in a huge generator in case the power went down. Oakville's famous for their little brownouts. So we had to do all kinds of crazy things, you know, on the spur of the moment. You know, I a mean, generator system was three hundred thousand dollars, you know. It's, it's it's half the size of this room on the back lot, and so all all those things had to be pulled together by some incredibly skilled people in a short period of time. And it's really remarkable what what they pulled off. Um, we had just built a new building across the street for our commercial markets team, and you know, I spent six point nine million dollars building a beautiful building, state of the art equipment and boardrooms with big screens everywhere and, you know, bistros and really, really cool. Empty with work at home. So you got this, you get this, you know, you get the situation where you're asking people to work night shifts and then you got a whole bunch of people working from home. And these people don't have the luxury of doing that. There's not even an option to work from home. And we don't have the tools in place to, to make sure that you know, uh, people working from home are, are, are as efficient as they can be. So I think it all started out really cool with, you know, Zoom parties and crazy stuff like that. Cocktail hours. Hey, let's all say hi at five o'clock. And then people got bored of that. Yeah. And it, real fast. Yeah. Because they, unlike what I just said, not unlike what I just said, you know, they didn't think it would last that long. You know, uh, you know, oh, it's fun. It's going to be a month. Oh, you know, flatten the curve for two weeks. And so then it carries on and carries on. It becomes, you become desensitized. And, you know, you you get bored with it. And that's what we saw happen. And the work from home persists. So we have, you know, right now, this beautiful new building is occupied three days a week. And Mondays and Fridays, people work from home. But we're seeing people come in anyway. It's like they don't want to be at home anymore. They want to interact. And work from home is great. You know, I think it's cool. You know, it saves people time, all that stuff. But my fear is collaboration. And my fear is where do the next leaders come from? How do you become a leader? How do you get, how do you be, be a, you know, a, a peer that people can rely on? How do you become a mentor, you know, on a Zoom call? I mean, where's, where, in five years, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where middle management is five years from now. What's going to happen to that group that didn't get to interact, didn't get to say, oh, that guy's a leader. Let's make him captain of the team. I mean, it, it, it's going to be a very, very interesting time.
0: Uh, yeah, I think... Nobody knows yet, uh, so it's going to be interesting, kind of seeing how does corporate culture meet with, meet with productivity, meet with the new demands of companies and people alike. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting topic. Now, you mentioned uh, strategy uh, earlier on, and strategy session and two-year plan. Um, you know, it's actually incredible sitting across from somebody that that really does plan out. So it's like, okay, this didn't fully catch you off guard. You're used to the spikes, and you've got to be ready for it. And uh, you were you were working in December uh, on things that we had no idea about. And so it's it's incredible seeing companies that actually have a strategy and are ready for those spikes. and we're not just saying, oh well, we we can't do anymore. um i'd love I'd love for you to kind of outline what do you do as a company um, that that has to deal with either <clears throat> like rapid growth, um regulatory changes, changes with countries? Uh, on a regular basis with a company that large so how do you strategize so that the person that is putting the lids on the bottles understands you know what's going to be happening next week and that you're all on the same page because that's that's hard to orchestrate
1: yeah well I mean it all starts with the fact that you know we've been doing this for 20 years so I I, I took all my learnings and I Viroxed them and and I've been teaching people as the company grew from six people to now we're over one hundred and ten um, about, about 70 of those people are, are in the uh, process that, that we call our road trip, our strategic planning process. But the uh, overarching principles of the company, the, the, the corporate strategic imperatives are, are looked at every year by our lead, executive leadership team. And they shouldn't change. There's, there's like five out of eight of them that haven't changed in 22 years. And those are the guiding principles of the company. Those are the imperatives, the make or break issues that we must follow. And... Um, and so we look at those and we publish those and people understand those and they could recite those and they know how their job is relevant to whichever one they deliver against. And then we have the, the, basically the the planning road trip, which we talked about earlier, where, uh, you know, the first process is key learnings. You know, what did we learn from prior year when we made the critical assumptions a year ago to create that plan? Where were we right? Where were we wrong? And And, and you know, what did we learn? And then we move into a, a phase where we look at critical assumptions for the upcoming year. You know, uh, and and uh, we build those out, and those are built out by functional group. And then, of course, we look at our strategic plan. Where, okay, what are the activities that we're going to have to embark on? What strategies are we going to create? What objectives, strategies, and tactics are we going to create in order to get to that next level in each sector that we're in? And, you know, we're in nine different sectors in, in, in infection prevention. So then, we roll all that up and it turns into an operating plan, like how are we going to finance this road trip, right? What's the budget? Oh, okay, well, if the budget is X and, you know, we got all these activities, maybe we can't stop at Disneyland for two days, you know, maybe we can only stop for one day. So we take a look at all the different components and we uh, we analogize it so that people understand you know, uh, from scientists to finance people to marketing people to materials management people, they all understand what it means when you talk about a road trip and, hey, we can't stop at Disneyland for two days. We can afford one day. They get it. And so we all work together and collaborate. And then pretty much everybody owns the road trip. And everybody understands that they have their own role to play in making that happen. And then once a month, we have our key indicators meeting, which we call Pit Stop. And um, it's a scorecard of all the essential things that, uh, that we thought would happen that month and what really happened, and then of course year to date, and we look at the trend and the trajectory. And so as you see things picking up, slowing down, how, are, you know, how do you pivot, which is really important business. You know, when, do you, when do you pivot to make sure that you're, uh, you're going to hit the, the right targets? And then, um, and then of course it all culminates into you know, the plan for the next year with a two-year outlook. And, and that's what we're completing right now as, as I'm sitting here in December. Uh, yesterday, we had our, our finance meeting where we just tied everything up in a bow and we're ready to go for 2022 and, and, a, and a two-year, two-year outlook. So, so all that planning, you know, keeps your hand on the pulse of the business. And we, you know, we, we're, we're, we're able to see maybe the trends. So what, actually, one of, the, uh, one of the sessions that we have, I talked about key learnings and, and critical assumptions, is one called Trends and Implications which falls next. So, you know, what are the key trends that you see in your sector, what are the implications of that trend, and then how's that going to impact the, the the plan, the strategic plan? So that whole trend and implications uh, thing is facilitated group by group. What do we see in materials management? What do we see in trends in the cost of polyethylene? Uh, what do we see in the, you know, skids? Wood skids went from $9 to $26. I mean, who'd have thought of that? So. All, all these different trends and what are the implications of those trends? So the implication on that would be, you know, the pricing of a skid of product just went up by 2%. You know, can you pass that along? Is, it, is that trend, is the implication of that trend, is it going to stay like that? Probably not. You know, do you pass that along? Do you do a temporary price increase? All the different things have to be thought through. But, but it, it, if you do that on an ongoing basis and you make it part of your DNA, um, you know, not much will surprise you to the extent
0: where you can handle it. Wow. Well, uh, speaking of speaking of trends, I want to come back to the planning session of this because uh, it it just sounds like you guys plan, 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 and then execute. Right? It's not about okay, execute, fix, patch, release. You know, like there, uh, you're you're a plan based company or a strategic based company. Monthly, quarterly. Uh, you know, you have a two year plan, which I think is. It's it's amazing that it's not just a one year plan because we've got to you know think into the future, but not a five year plan because oh my gosh like five year, you know that that's almost laughable. Um, but when you mentioned trends, uh, I know that we we all wish that we had a crystal ball and could look into the future. But in being an industry uh, leader in uh, infectious like controls and sanitization, um, what? what are you guys anticipating for the next few years for um, humankind? Like, you know, we, if, if we were to go back a couple of years and uh, and ask anyone, do we ever think that, you know, uh, Canadians would be just wearing face masks in stores and, and stuff for, for years and years and workplace changes, um, we would have all been wrong. Uh, but there was a part of Virox where you understand um, that a little bit more. You've seen SARS. We understand, you, you know, you kind of have the... The, the front seat for the stuff that's going on. Uh, what do you think humankind is going to look like in a, in a couple of years in regards to how much our lives have changed? Are, 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 is things all going to just get back to normal and we're all perfectly fine and then we're going to forget about this another 100 years? You know, Like your you know, predecessors are going to do this all again? Um, or have things just changed for good? Well, that, that's a good question. The Wall Street Journal asked me that you
1: know well over a year ago. And, and I said, I think we've entered a phase of a new abnormal. Uh, I don't think anything will be normal again. I think the biggest they—they they said what was the big difference between SARS and now? SARS was O three. I said social media. Social media. Like I mean, did you you, you, oh, you turn your TV on and they've got the the count of how many people are sick and dying on the screen twenty four seven on CNN? You've got people sending Instagram pictures of people dying in beds. I mean, social media is the big difference, and. Everybody is now educated on what a co- what COVID is. If you push rewind and you tell, you know, 20 years ago, and you said, you know, what's a, what's SARS? You know, what is a respiratory... I don't know. People will tell you what Ebola is now. Like a pedestrian is educated. So you're going to see a division, I think, of people that are fed up with it and desensitized. And, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to vaccinate. I don't care. Like, I mean, I'm done with this. You're going to see people that are overly um, uh, protective and we'll, we'll wear masks and gloves and do things like that and then you'll see a whole bunch of people in the middle that are somewhat desensitized, but they're going to be, you know, call it politically correct, they're going to say, oh, I better wear my mask, I better follow the rules, um, but you know, how many people do you see walking into a Sobeys and they pull the same used mask out of their pocket over and over and over again and stick it in the, you know, the visor of their car? People are going to find their own, their own niche and their own way of doing things. In the infection control space, what you're going to see is you're going to see people that, hospitals, for example. They're not going to change what they're doing. They were already doing it. But you're going to see people that should have disinfected that are going to start to disinfect. Why? Because that educated consumer that comes in to get their toenails done at a little clinic is going to want to see you wipe the chair down and wipe the tools down, not just assume you did that dental clinic, that chiro clinic, you know, is, is, is just pulling that little piece of paper up and saying, go lay down. Is that enough anymore? Or do they want to see you wash your hands? There's going to be some behaviors that I think consumers will demand that, that, that will say, hold on a second. You know, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't see you change your gloves. Do you mind? There's going to be those people. And then all of a sudden that's going to make people go, I better just do the theater and have a little hand wash station where people can see me. Watch them. Let them see me put my new gloves on. There's going to be what we call infection prevention theater, where you go in and they're going, to, they're going to visibly see you do something. You go back 10 years ago, you went to a subway to get a sandwich, and the guy was using a face cloth to wipe the knife off, and people were freaking out. All of a sudden, it's now, okay, we put a little hand wash station, but I didn't see him wash his hands. Now they put these weird-looking little big plastic gloves on that look like three times the size of their hands for each sandwich. Yeah. They cost two, two cents each. Okay, I'm happy with that. That's the kind of evolution that you see in the hygiene space. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's a heightened awareness, but I still think it's gonna be a new abnormal. It's gonna be in flux for some time. Viruses mutate, that's what they do. That's what the flu does, it just mutates. So this isn't going away,
0: it's just going to be different. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, I remember, uh, I mean, I worked at a pizza place when I was a kid and like, you know, we didn't wear gloves and you make the pizzas, you take it out of the oven, and then you go grab the cash from the person, stick it in the cash register, go back to making a pizza, and you just do it over and over again, right? Go over, answer the phone, right? The same phone that everybody's there. And uh, yeah, I mean, we just have to change. Um, uh, amazing. Well, uh, I mean, a lot of key learnings from, from the podcast. I really do appreciate the time. I mean, we're still in the pandemic. There's news is changing every single day. Uh, and, uh, and just really appreciate kind of helping people understand um, how to really grow rapidly in a time of crisis. And it's interesting, you know, when we've connected, never really even felt like uh, crisis would be a word that would be used uh, in your facility in regards to how you're operating, because you guys plan, 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 and and execute and execute flawlessly. Um, you know, you're you're not as much of a manufacturing plant as you are. You know, I've I've been in your facilities and seen you know the labs and the QA and everything, and it's incredible work what you guys do. So, I mean, I, I think on behalf of even everybody listening to this podcast, thank you so much for supplying us with with all the goods that we've so desperately needed. Uh, in this last bit, I mean, thanks to to the team and the staff there that were working uh, overtime where we wouldn't have even thought that, you know, this facility in Oakville is just working nonstop with trucks down the road to make sure that people in multiple countries had the products they need to to stay safe. And uh, really appreciate your insight today. It's uh, it's just fascinating to to watch the continual growth of Virox technologies and in, in everything that you guys are doing. So thank you.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. And, uh, and, and look for our new technology coming out next year. It's, uh, it's 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 going to be uh, another innovation uh, that'll just take safety to the next level without compromising efficacy.
0: That's amazing. You mentioned citric acid. Is yeah, that it's correct? based on citric acid. Yeah, that's insane. Okay, yeah. very cool. Well, I, I can't wait to, to see that and yeah. uh, to figure oh. out what that what that's going to look like. Yeah, you bet. Awesome. All right, thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Candy Cast. If you like what you've heard, make sure to hit the subscribe button for more sweet conversations. Also, continue the conversation with us on social media by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Candy Cast Club.
0: Until next time, thanks again for listening and stay sweet.